What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Section 22 of The Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 10. Pope Alexander VI. Part 1. Charles VIII, King of France, died of a stroke of apoplexy on April 7, 1491, the very day on which the doctrines of Savonarola were to be submitted at Florence to the proof of fire. Charles was twenty-seven years of age, and had reigned for about fourteen years and a half. He was the last of the direct line of the House of Valois, which had sat on the throne of France for a hundred and nineteen years. He was succeeded by Louis Twelfth, a name full of fate to Italy. Before his accession he was known as the Duke of Orléans, being descended from Louis, Duke of Orléans, son of King Charles V who married Valentina of Milan. Before we proceed with the further relations between France and Italy, we must retrace our steps and follow with close attention the career of Alexander VI. Charles VIII had left Italy in a state of the most terrible confusion. It was divided by two parties, the League of Venice, between Rome, Venice, and Milan, supported by the Emperor Maximilian and the King of England, and the French party, which consisted of Savoy, Montferrat, Ferrara, Florence, Bologna, and the Orsini of Rome. Whilst Charles was on his homeward march, the Emperor Maximilian was at the Diet of Worms, haggling with the estates for money. Before he returned to the Tyrol, Charles was back again in France, and the war was over but there was some danger lest Charles should return. An embassy was sent to Maximilian to say that Charles was expected every day and that the Florentines were threatening Pisa. After taking counsel with his son Philip, Maximilian determined to march. His plan aimed at something more than to rescue Italy from the hands of the French. He proposed, after Italy was pacified, to go on to Provence to help Duke René. Philip was to attack France from the Netherlands, Ferdinand of Spain from Rossillon. The invaders were to meet in Lyon, and Burgundy would be recovered for the empire. It should be noticed that in the wars of Europe at this time, German soldiers bore a principal part. German soldiers assisted the Muscovites against the Poles. With their help, the Swedes destroyed the forces of the Scandinavian Union. Germans fought in England for the House of York, and for Brittany against the Crown of France. In Naples, the soldiers on both sides were Germans, and so also were the conquerors of the Hungarians. Maximilian had some reason for believing that if he could unite all these forces under his own standard, he would be irresistible in Europe. The reality was a dismal contrast to the dream the king of the romans arrived at monza at the end of august fourteen ninety six 
without an army and without money he hoped to be able to obtain these from the league but in vain he found that he could trust neither sforza nor the pope the dispute was chiefly centred round the question as to whether pisa should be free or whether it should be surrendered to the florentines in october maximilian laid siege to Ligorne, but the french fleet was able to relieve the place and his own ships were destroyed by a storm he returned to germany at the close of 1496 this event and the restoration of the aragon rule in naples marked the commencement of the second epoch of alexander's pontificate up to this time his faults had chiefly been those of indecision and weak self-indulgence he now seemed to enter upon a deliberate course of evil his first object was to dispossess the barons of the roman state in order to enrich the family of the borgia he began with the powerful orsini in the wars of naples they had taken the side of charles and their rivals the colonna the side of aragon in june fourteen ninety six the pope confiscated the property of the orsini and gave it to his son the duke of gandia whom he also made standard-bearer of the church the orsini at first bowed before the storm they surrendered all the places which appeared to them incapable of defence and took refuge in the strong castle of bracciano which was formidable not only by its natural strength but by the lake which lay before it help speedily came to them from the north and the pope's troops were entirely defeated at the battle of soriano on january twenty sixth fourteen ninety seven the duke of urbino was taken prisoner and the duke of gandia wounded the plans of the pope against the orsini were thus baffled and he was compelled to make peace he now turned his attention elsewhere with the help of the great captain consalvo of cordoba he conquered the castle of ostia the property of the noted cardinal giuliano now in possession of verginio orsini he divorced his daughter lucrezia from giovanni sforza lord of pesaro probably at the bidding of cesare borgia who now began to exert his baneful influence he loaded the duke of gandia with honours he gave him the duchies of benevento terracina and ponte corvo and offered even to mark him out for the throne of naples he was to go there with his brother the cardinal cesare to crown federico of altamura before they could start on their journey a terrible event occurred on the evening of june fourteenth fourteen ninety seven the duke of gandia cesare and their mother vanozza together with cardinal ascanio sforza supped together in a vineyard on the outskirts of rome it is said that during the banquet the borgia insulted ascanio cesare and his mother went away and ascanio and gandia were left alone gandia then departed riding a mule with a single companion when they reached the piazza della ebrei gandia sent his attendant to the palace to fetch arms when he returned he saw nothing of the duke but the mule was afterwards discovered some charcoal burners deposed that they had seen on that night a man on horseback with others on foot mount one of the bridges over the tiber and throw the dead body of a man into the river the man on horseback said to his attendants 
has it gone to the bottom and one of them replied yes my lord the charcoal burners looked on to the river and saw the dead man's mantle floating and threw stones to sink it when asked why he had made no report to the governor he replied i have in my life seen a hundred dead bodies thrown into the river there and no one ever troubled his head about them the next day the body of the duke was recovered it was completely dressed and had nine wounds and one mortal thrust in the throat the purse was full of money the pope on hearing it neither ate drank nor slept for three days he was altogether inconsolable and could only say perpetually i know the murderer there can be little doubt that the murderer was cesare borgia who was very jealous of his brother he had entered most reluctantly into the ecclesiastical state which seemed to shut the door to civil honours the pope after a fortnight gave up all attempt to discover the criminal after a few weeks decent mourning cesare went to naples and crowned federigo on august tenth he was the last king of the house of aragon the attempts which the pope had made at reform in the first threat of disaster were given up and there was no more talk of his relinquishing the tiara cesare borgia became more powerful than ever he was invested with the fiefs which were to have belonged to his brother and it was clear that he would soon exchange the cardinal's hat for a princely coronet the summer of this year showed a change in the politics of europe which was one of the signs of the era spain takes henceforth a prominent place in the new family of nations ferdinand became anxious to strengthen himself with alliances he betrothed his daughter isabella to manuel king of portugal making it a condition of the marriage that all jews and enemies of the inquisition should be driven out of the country the jews thus expelled spread over europe which they enriched by their industry and from that time there was peace between spain and portugal for a century and a half a similar negotiation was begun with the king of england catherine of aragon was married to arthur prince of wales and henry the seventh joined the league against france the pope as has been already mentioned sent to henry the consecrated hat and sword the pretenders lambert simnel and perkin warbeck were supported by the french party in order to weaken the position of henry they also found assistance in scotland which was always well disposed toward france peace with scotland was purchased by the marriage of margaret daughter of henry the seventh to james the fourth the king of that country an alliance which eventually brought about the union between the two kingdoms a strong friendship also existed at this time between scotland and king john of denmark who possessed norway and had claims over sweden thus a league of alliance and friendship extended from the arctic circle to the southern shores of spain and sicily the three pillars of the alliance were ferdinand henry and maximilian it seemed to threaten the very existence of the french monarchy the troops of maximilian entered france in three bodies but as we have seen charles the eighth died on april seventh fourteen ninety one and his successor louis the twelfth was able to break up the league and to place europe in the same condition as if it had never existed 
the first object of louis the twelfth on coming to the throne was to strengthen his position as king for this purpose he divorced his own wife and married the widow of charles the eighth anne duchess of brittany by which means that appanage was secured to the crown in order to contract this marriage he required a papal dispensation and this gave an opportunity for bringing about more intimate relations between himself and the pope on his entry into paris he proclaimed himself king of naples and duke of milan king of naples as heir to rene of provence and duke of milan as the lineal descendant of the visconti in the female line this step had the effect of breaking up the league ferdinand joined him against naples venice joined him against milan ludovico il moro awaited the onslaught relying on the turks the emperor and the swiss we shall see how these props were destined to fail him in august fourteen ninety eight cesare borgia solemnly laid aside the dignity of cardinal this was easier because he was still a layman and had never received holy orders he declared that he had no vocation for the priestly state and that he had become cardinal under the compulsion of the pope some one has remarked that these are perhaps the only true words he ever spoke in october he set out for france with a gorgeous train he carried with him a treasure of two hundred thousand ducats the robes of his suite were sewn with pearls the shoes of his horses were of silver he was received by louis the twelfth at the castle of chinon with outward courtesy but with inward contempt he was created duke of valence or of valentinois a province on the rhone this is curious because he had before been archbishop of valentia and it has led to some confusion he soon afterwards married jeanne d'albret sister of the king of navarre and thus became a member of the royal house of france the object of cesare was to procure for himself a principality in italy and louis promised to assist him in this as soon as he got possession of milan alexander joined the alliance which the king of france had made with milan paying no attention to the protest of the king of spain this alliance was effected by the treaty of angers concluded between france and venice on february ninth fourteen ninety nine by the mediation of the cardinal giuliano della rovere the cause of quarrel between il moro and venice was the possession of pisa the venetians wishing it to remain independent the moor wished it to belong to the florentines but there was no mention of pisa in the treaty it only provided that venice should make war against il moro and in case of success should receive cremona and the whole of the milanese coast of adda it was the will of fate that the duke of milan should find no allies to assist him in this crisis the neutrality of england and spain were secured by treaty maximilian who had begun an attack on burgundy found himself engaged in a war with switzerland florence was busy with pisa and federigo of naples had quite enough to do to defend himself there are few things more remarkable in history than the manner in which louis the twelfth finding himself at his accession girt with a threatening ring of powerful foes contrived to break up their alliance and even direct some of its force against his chosen enemy the war began in august trivolzo the general of louis the twelfth 
took valencia and alessandria as he advanced from the west the venetians pressed on from the east the guelph party took the side of the french and town after town fell before them il moro had no safety but in flight he went first to como and then into the tyrol where he was received with much favour by maximilian louis the twelfth entered pavia on october sixth he was accompanied by the princes of savoy montferrat ferrara and mantua by the ambassadors of venice florence siena and pisa by giuliano della rovere and by cesare borgia an eye-witness after speaking of the duke of valentinois as a most wicked man describes him as a young man well made and robust with fair hair falling over his shoulders his face lean and pale his eyes light and fiery his general appearance combining beauty and grace with signs of the terrible temper which seethed within louis the twelfth left milan to return to france on november seventh he took with him francesco sforza a child of eight years the son of the unfortunate gian galeazzo he left rivolzio behind him as a viceroy End of section twenty two section twenty three of the age of the condottieri by oscar browning this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter ten pope alexander the sixth part two the visit of cesare borgia to the court of france had a profound political effect the pope received authority to overthrow the vassals of the church in italy he did not lose time in beginning the work he made his daughter lucrezia regent of spoleto a town which up to this time had never been under the authority of a signoria he drove the gaetani out of sermonetta he declared the great reigning houses the malatesta the montefeltri the bentivogli to be deprived of their authority machiavelli has praised this design of freeing italy from a multitude of rulers cesare borgia who principally effected it and who is machiavelli's ideal prince is one of the most remarkable characters in history he was extremely handsome his terrible lust was controlled by a cold and acute understanding he had at his command all the arts and devices of secret government mysterious silence deceit and delusion a careful laying of plans swift action at the proper time pitiless cruelty and knowledge of mankind perhaps rather of their weaknesses and vices than of their virtues he could use both good and bad means for his purposes he could be just and generous but only when it suited his ends we may be glad that such monsters of iniquity if they now exist cannot exercise their influence in high places but find their way eventually to the felon's dock cesare borgia began his conquests in the romagna in november fourteen ninety nine he first attacked imola which fell an easy prey and then forli which was defended by catherine sforza rather a virago than a woman it yielded on january twelfth fifteen hundred after the conquest of these two towns and of cesena cesare made his triumphal entry into rome 
In the meantime, Ludovico Sforza had been the sport of the most varied fortune. Maximilian could be of no use to him in the Tyrol, so he went on into Switzerland and persuaded the men of Uri to help him by promising them some extension of territory. He swooped down upon Milan from the slopes of the Alps, surprised Trivolzo, who was defending it, and entered it on February 5th. His triumph was of short duration. Louis Twelfth sent La Tremouille to recover the lost possession. Ludovico was betrayed by the Swiss in Novara. On the night of April 9th, the Burgundians and Germans penetrated into the Duke's chamber and said, You are the King's prisoner. He exacted the promise that he should be taken to Bellinzona. He then dressed himself like a Swiss soldier, and soon afterwards contrived to mix himself up with the sixteen thousand who were there and got out of Novara. But a Grison captain pointed him out to the French. Il Moro, when he was discovered, said, I surrender myself to my kinsman, Monsieur de Ligny. The Duke was first taken to Lyon, and then to Loche, where he remained ten long years in prison. His brother Ascanio was also taken to France, but was let out after a short time. Milan remained in the hands of the French, and Bellinzona was given to the Swiss. In the summer of 1500, Rome was horrified by another fearful crime. The young prince of Bisalia, the husband of Lucrezia Borgia, was coming out of the church of St. Peter on the evening of July 15th, when he was stabbed by an assassin who immediately disappeared. The wounded man was carried to the Pope and named the murderer. Lucrezia, who was present, immediately swooned. The name was not revealed, but it was well known to be Cesare Borgia. For a month the wounded man lay, tended by his wife and the Pope, and surrounded by guards. It was no secret that Cesare had determined on his death. At last, on August 18th, Cesare entered the apartment, sent Lucrezia away, and strangled Bisalia with the assistance of a paid assassin. After the conquest of Imola and Forli, Cesare turned his arms against Faenza, then governed by Astore Manfrede, a youth of sixteen, who was the darling of his people. The town was reduced by famine. Astore was captured by treachery and sent to Rome, where he was imprisoned in the castle of St. Angelo and put to death. Cesare received the title of Duke of Romagna, and Alexander did not hesitate to alienate this large province from the Holy See. Bologna was to be the capital, and Cesare hoped eventually to unite with this principality the sovereignty of Italy. After this, in May 1501, Cesare turned his attention to Florence, and threatened to restore the exiled Piero de' Medici, but the Florentines bought him off, and by the intervention of Louis XII he was recalled to Rome. A treaty had been signed at Grenada on November 11, 1500, between Louis XII and Ferdinand of Aragon, who then assumed respectively for the first time the titles of the most Christian and Catholic king. The object of the treaty was the conquest of Naples by the combined force of the two monarchs and the partition of the kingdom. Calabria and Apulia were to go to Spain, the rest of the country to France. Federigo, a wise and gentle sovereign, beloved by his subjects, 
was entirely ignorant of the storm which was preparing in his simplicity he went so far as to request the king of spain to assist him against france the treaty was communicated to the pope who gave his adhesion to it the ostensible reason for the conquest was that it might be the stepping-stone to an expedition against the turks the pope's real reason for acquiescence was that when spain and france had worn themselves out in the struggle naples might fall to the lot of cesare borgia the french army invaded naples in the summer of fifteen o one consalvo da cordova to whom the terms of the treaty had been communicated and who was the subject of king ferdinand treacherously betrayed federigo who had committed his fortunes to his keeping capua was taken by storm with circumstances of great atrocity federigo dismayed and thunderstruck at the treachery of his nearest relatives and most trusted friends threw himself upon the mercy of the french king louis the twelfth gave him the duchy of anjou and a considerable pension he died a prisoner at tours in fifteen o four his son fernando preserved the title of duke of calabria and prince of tarentum he died in fifteen fifty nine and the neapolitan branch of the house of aragon came to an end the conquest of naples by the french gave the pope an opportunity of attacking the barons of latium during his absence in the field he left his daughter lucrezia as regent in the vatican that a woman should be placed even temporarily in the chair of st peter is a measure of the degradation and corruption of the holy see the property of the vanquished barons was divided between Rodrigo, the son of lucrezia and the murdered alfonso and giovanni borgia a bastard son of the pope by these means nearly the whole of the states of the church came into the hands of the borgia family the unfortunate lucrezia was now compelled to contract a fourth marriage with alfonso son of ercole d'este the duke of ferrara the object of this was to acquire support for cesare borgia in the north of italy the marriage which took place on december twenty eighth fifteen o one turned out better than might have been expected and lucrezia lived happily with her husband and children she held a brilliant court at ferrara her beauty virtue and wisdom were exalted to the stars by the poet ariosto the cardinal bembo to whom she sent a tress of her hair still preserved and seen by byron and the scholar aldus minutius she died on june twenty fourth fifteen nineteen and on her deathbed wrote a touching letter to pope leo x committing her husband and children to his care and her soul to his prayers cesare borgia was now tyrant of rome and the pope was entirely unable to restrain him a venetian had written a pamphlet against the pope and his son he was smothered and thrown into the tiber when complaint was made to alexander he said that the duke of valentinois was a good-natured man but that he could not bear to be abused i have often told him he said that rome is a free town and that every one may write and speak here as he pleases that i am often abused myself but i take no notice of it the duke answered me if rome is accustomed to write and to speak in this manner good but i will make people who do this suffer for it the death of Astore Manfrede at the age of seventeen and of his brother at fifteen was brought about by Cesare's orders. 
Cesare left Rome in June 1502 to continue his operations in the Romagna. He was already master of a considerable territory. He desired further to occupy Camerino, Urbino, Florence, Siena, and Perugia, and to be proclaimed king of central Italy. The latter half of 1520 was occupied by the crimes which were undertaken for this end. The first two towns he gained by treachery. He then took the title of Cesare Borgia of France, by the grace of God, Duke of Romagna, of Valence, and of Urbino, Prince of Arditi, Lord of Andici, Piambino, standard-bearer and captain of the Holy Roman Church. His name was extolled by flatterers to the skies. Men of genius like Leonardo da Vinci entered his service. His attempts on Tuscany failed. Louis XII forbade him to touch Florence. The King of France found himself again summoned to Italy by the course of events. Since the partition of Naples, peace had never been secure between the Spaniards and the French. There were disputes about the boundary, and in this age of bastard chivalry, everyone preferred the occupations of war to those of peace. A notable incident was the disfida, or challenge, of Barletta. On November ninth, 1502, the Duke of Nemours marched from Melfi toward Barletta, which was defended by Consalvo de Cordova, Fabrizio, and Prospero Colonna, and other Italian lords and barons. The soldiers on either side vied with each other in deeds of valor. In January, 1502, the Spaniard Diego Mendoza made some Frenchmen prisoners. At dinner, some hot words arose between them, and Inigo Lopez de Ayala, who defended the honor of the Italian soldiers against the attack of the Frenchmen. It was settled that the question should be fought out by thirteen on each side. The battle took place on February 13, 1503, in a plain between Andria, Barletta, and Quadrara. Ettore Fiera Mosea, the leader of the Italians, returned victorious, bringing with him the Frenchmen as prisoners. It is said that nothing discouraged the French army so much as this defeat, and from that day fortune abandoned them. The situation of affairs in Europe was at this time remarkable. The two most prominent countries were France and Spain. The heir of Ferdinand and Isabella was their son Juan, who seemed destined to reign over the Spanish portion of that great peninsula which was now united for the first time. He, however, suddenly died, and his posthumous child died also as soon as it was born. Isabella, married to the king of Portugal, now became the heir and it seemed as if the entire peninsula would be subject to a single ruler. She, however, died, and her son Miguel after her. The inheritance now passed to Juana, the third daughter of Ferdinand and Isabella, who had been married to Philip the Fair, son of the emperor Maximilian. An heir had been born to them on the day of St. Matthias, February twenty-fourth, 1500, who was afterwards to reign over half Europe under the name of Charles V. It was the consequence of such a series of accidents that such vast dominions were united under a single crown. As Ferdinand and Louis XII were at least nominally in alliance, and Philip, the son of Maximilian, was son-in-law to Ferdinand, it need not appear strange 
that the emperor should invest the king of france with the duchy of milan cesare borgia did not secure his conquests entirely without opposition frightened by his designs on bologna his condottiere leaders were against him and brought him into the greatest danger the great machiavelli the author of the immortal prince was now in the service of cesare borgia and has left us an account of these events he tells us that on the last day of the year 1502, Valentino was marching along the shore which stretches between Fano and Sinigallia. There met him in the suburbs of the city Vitellozzi, Paolo Orsini, the Duke of Gravina, and Oliverotto of Fermo. He entered with them into the city. Machiavelli noticed that the face of Vitellozzo was pale. Perhaps the Duke had let a word fall which betrayed his design arrived at the castle he called the captains into his room and had them arrested vitellozzo and oliverotto were executed that very night the pope did the same to the cardinal orsini prayers and bribes were squandered in vain to save his life it was believed that at the very time when the pope was promising to spare him the cardinal had already drunk of the poisoned cup the pope immediately seized the castles and possessions of the Orsini, and their property was only to some degree protected by the intervention of france in the spring of fifteen o three the borgias stood at the height of their power the pope was sturdy and strong the Orsini and colonna lay conquered at their feet cesare was destined to become king of romagna and the marches france alone stood in the way but for that power cesare would become lord of pisa and possibly of the whole of tuscany even this obstacle seemed in a fair way to be removed the french generals aubigny and nemours were entirely defeated by consalvo a french historian remarks that louis the twelfth was justly punished for allying himself with such monsters as the borgias alexander was separating himself from louis and preparing to ally himself with ferdinand to drive the french from italy louis offered alexander the possession of naples if he would surrender bologna and the romagna alexander was beseeching the emperor to invest cesare with the lordship of pisa siena and lucca la tremouille lay ill at parma but intended when he recovered to march on to naples with a new army these complicated intrigues were brought to nothing by an unexpected event in the early part of august the pope and cesare were supping with cardinal adriano a very wealthy man in his vineyard shortly afterwards they were both attacked by illness the pope died on august eighteenth cesare after lying in the agonies of death eventually recovered it has always been supposed that they were poisoned the corpse of the pope became rapidly black and was horribly swollen and disfigured he was buried after a long interval on september third in a miserable manner without funeral rites the explanation usually given is that cesare had intended to poison the cardinal in order to seize his property but that by accident or design the wine destined for the purpose was handed to the pope and himself some modern historians see in this only a violent attack of autumnal malaria fever the consequences of this event will be narrated in the next chapter end of section twenty three
Section 24 of The Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 11. Pope Julius II. Part 1. Up to the time of his father's death, Cesare Borgia was lord of Rome. He had money and strong castles, many friends, and eight devoted Spaniards in the sacred college. With these resources he expected to be able to carry any election he pleased for the papal chair. He told Machiavelli that he had anticipated everything that could possibly happen on his father's death, only that he had not foreseen that at the time he himself might be dangerously ill. As it was, he got possession of the Pope's treasure before the death was made known. Everything else was plundered by the servants. The cardinals were in the greatest embarrassment. A French army under Francesco Gonzaga was on the march from the north. The Orsini and the Colonna might at any moment make an attack upon Rome. Cesare entrenched himself in the Borgo, that portion of Rome which contains St. Peter's and the Vatican, and which is defended by the Tiber and the castle of St. Angelo. He contrived to make a treaty with the Colonna, and so to detach them from their alliance with the Orsini. He also offered to join his army with that of the King of France, to receive in return a guarantee of all his possessions. With the cardinals he made an agreement to leave Rome in three days. Giuliano della Rovere now returned to Rome after an exile of ten years, together with Ascanio Sforza and Cardinal d'Amboise, Archbishop of Rouen, the minister of Louis the Twelfth. At the same time, Jacopo da Piano returned to Piombino, Pandolfo Malatesta to Rimini, and Giovanni Sforza to Pesaro. The French and Spanish armies were both forbidden to enter Rome. The French candidate for the papacy was the Cardinal d'Amboise. The Venetians were in favor of Giuliano della Rovere, who promised to be a good Italian. The requisites for a pope at this time were that he should reform church discipline, should summon a council, and should conduct a crusade against the Turks. The Italians and Spaniards united against a French pope, and preferred to choose an old man who would fill the place for a short time. The votes fell on the Cardinal of Siena, Francesco Todeschini Piccolomini, sixty-four years of age and in bad health. He was proclaimed on September 22nd. Being the nephew of Pius II, he took the title of Pius III. The Venetians had determined to take possession of the Romagna, and conquered Cesena and Faenza without difficulty. Cesare Borgia returned to Rome with a certain number of troops, and received the protection of the Pope, which was not worth much. But the Orsini made peace with the Colonna, and Cesare retired into the castle of Sant'Angelo, which had been the living tomb of so many of his victims. Pope Pius III, who had been in weak health at the time of his election, and was actually ill on the day of his coronation, died on October 18, 1503. There was no doubt as to his successor. The thirty-six cardinals who entered into conclave chose unanimously Giuliano della Rovere, who took the name of Julius II. He was a most remarkable man, sixty years of age but full of enterprise and energy, more fitted to be a great king than a great priest. 
during his ten years exile he had cared more for the interests of france than of italy he had stirred up the expedition of charles the eighth into italy in order to overthrow alexander the sixth he had promised the spaniards that if he became pope he would make cesare borgia standard-bearer of the church machiavelli says that the only mistake cesare ever made was in allowing him to be pope instead of the cardinal d'amboise julius was not only a soldier of blood and iron but a great patron of literature and art for him bramante worked in st peter's michelangelo painted the frescoes of the sistine chapel and raffaele made the apartments of the vatican glow with colour the attempt to produce a tomb worthy of the great pontiff was the tragedy of michelangelo's life if the venetians thought that julius would make a compliant pope they were greatly mistaken rimini had already opened its gates to them but the pope bade them abstain from invading the dominions of the church at the same time he refused to confirm cesare borgia in his dukedom and had evidently planned his overthrow cesare embarked on the tiber on november ninth and set sail for ostia his supposed object was to go to tuscany and to implore the assistance of the florentines against the venetians but julius demanded from him the restitution of the romagna in order to save it from venice when cesare refused he was brought back to rome and thrown into prison here he was compelled to humble himself before guidobaldo de montefeltro duke of urbino whom he had so ruthlessly driven from his capital in the beginning of the year fifteen o four he was released from prison on the condition of delivering up his fortresses just before this on december twenty eighth fifteen o three the french had been seriously defeated by the spaniards under consalvo on the banks of the garigliano piero de medici was drowned by the swamping of a boat at the mouth of the river when cesare found that he could no longer depend upon the french he turned his attention to their rivals he took refuge with consalvo de cordova at naples the great captain appeared at first to receive him in a friendly manner but afterwards treacherously delivered him to spain he spent two years in confinement at medina del campo and was then allowed to live with his brother-in-law the king of navarre he fell in his service on march twelfth fifteen o seven in a petty conflict with his vassals so perished one who is justly regarded as one of the greatest monsters of an age fruitful in evil characters he was relentlessly cruel and allowed no obstacle to stand in his way yet he was not only admired but loved by those who knew him well machiavelli represents him as the incarnation of political wisdom but we may reasonably doubt whether this wisdom went much beyond a calculating cunning had he been a really great man he would have thrown himself into his dukedom of the romagna and either held it against all comers or perished in the struggle he may have conceived the idea of the unity of italy but greater political wisdom would have shown him that he was not taking the best means to effect this object we have seen that julius the second ascended the papal throne at a great crisis in the history of europe and especially of italy naples was in the hands of spain and milan in those of france and on the rivalries of these two great powers hung the destinies of the peninsula the smaller states were powerless 
Florence was entirely occupied by the war with Pisa. In 1502 she had entirely changed her constitution by abolishing the rapid succession of magistrates who held office for two months only, and electing Piero Soderini, standard-bearer for life. Perugia, Siena, Lucca, Bologna held their independence only on sufferance. Julius restored to their possessions those Roman barons who had been driven out by the Borgia. Amongst those were the Colonna and the Orsini. The Pope also established his nephew Francesco Maria della Rovere as heir to the Montefeltri in Urbino. He also favoured the triple alliance between France, Spain and the Empire concluded at Blois on September 22, 1504. By this treaty, Naples was to pass to the Archduke Philip, and Louis XII was to have the investiture of the Milanese. Charles, the son of Philip, was to marry Claudia, the daughter of the King of France. For the moment there was peace in Italy, with the exception of the war between Florence and Pisa. But a league was made between the Pope, the Emperor, the King of France, and the Archduke Philip, to recover from the Venetians the territories which they had conquered. This remained for the moment without practical result. Under the present condition of Europe, it was impossible for an energetic sovereign like Julius not to desire to imitate in some degree the policy of Cesare Borgia and to establish a solid temporal princedom in the centre of Italy. For this purpose, it was necessary to extinguish the petty lords who stood in his way, and the cities which principally arrested his attention were Perugia and Bologna. He entered Perugia as a conqueror on August 13, 1506. He then proceeded to Cesena, where on October 1st he published a bull deposing Giovanni Bentivoglio from the government of Bologna, at the same time excommunicating him. Finding that the help of France was given to his rival, the unhappy victim surrendered himself with the promise of life and revenue, and on November 11th Julius entered Bologna in triumph. He stayed there the whole winter, and on Palm Sunday, March 13, 1507, he reached Rome, received with every sign of rejoicing which the imagination of the Renaissance could invent. At this time, Ferdinand the Catholic was at Naples. He had heard on his journey of the death of his son-in-law Philip, son of Maximilian, husband of Juana, called the Mad, and father of Charles V. He returned hastily, passed by Ostia without going to Rome to visit the Pope, and landed at Savona, where he met Louis XII. They remained together for three days, but it is not known what agreement they arrived at. It is supposed that they took into consideration the reform of the Church, the League against Venice, and the fate of Pisa. Venice was at this time occupying some towns in the territory of Lombardy and of Naples, which were claimed by France and Spain. The Pope had determined ever since the moment of his accession to abate the pride and restrain the ambition of the Venetians, by wresting from them the conquests which they had made in the Romagna. At an early period he had created three French cardinals and one Spaniard, the famous Ximenes, in token of his desire to bring the two rival powers into harmony. As early as March 1504, he had sent representatives to the courts of France, Spain, and the Empire to stir them up to an attack upon Venice. 
at that time louis the twelfth and maximilian were not on terms of intimate friendship and the emperor is supposed to have favoured a plan by which il moro should be restored to the throne of milan and some addition of territory should be granted to the swiss his views on these matters were altered by the death of his son philip the heir to spain and the empire was his grandson charles a weakly child of seven years old he wished to secure to him the quiet possession of his inheritance and one step in that direction was to re-establish the power of germany and its influence over italy maximilian desired to receive the imperial crown at rome he made known his intention of doing so to the imperial diet assembled at constance in fifteen o seven the pope was not in favour of this expedition while france and venice were strongly opposed to it switzerland in the diet of zurich alone declared its consent on february third fifteen o seven maximilian was proclaimed in trent roman emperor-elect a title which was afterwards used by his successors as it appeared to relieve the emperors of the necessity of being crowned in rome the project of a journey to rome was given up and a war was undertaken against the venetians who with the support of france had refused the emperor a passage through their dominions maximilian was everywhere defeated gorizia and trieste were added to the venetian dominions and in june fifteen o eight he was with great reluctance forced to accept a three years truce venice was at this time in a critical condition she had by degrees lost her possessions in the east before the advancing turk and had only the shreds of her former power left her commerce also was passing from her the discoveries of the portuguese the opening of the new route to india were events destined to carry the course of the world's traffic into other lines venice determined to make up by an empire in italy for what she was losing in the east and she dreamed that she might be the saviour of the peninsula who should bring together state after state in long-desired unity had she followed out this design with frank and open magnanimity it is possible that she might have been able to effect at least a considerable portion of it but she attempted to gain her ends by conquest and so roused the determined opposition of powerful enemies she was then the mistress of great resources her fleets had kept the french from genoa the spaniards from naples her army had defended milan she lay a bulwark against the invader before the alps of the tyrol and carinthia she was mistress of verona the key to italy to those who entered her by the valley of the adige she possessed brescia bergamo cremona and part of the duchy of milan she also owned friuli which was coveted by austria and some towns on the coast of italy of which spain demanded the restoration in the romagna she held ravenna faenza cervia and rimini she possessed something which every other power wished to have pope julius was especially wroth with the republic of st mark about his territory in the romagna he said one day to the venetian ambassador i will make venice into a fishing village and we replied the envoy will reduce you again to the status of a petty priest if you are not sensible the outcome of all these jealousies was that a league was formed against venice at cambrai on december tenth fifteen o eight 
the object of which was the destruction of venice and the partition of her possessions besides the gains of the powers already mentioned hungary was to have dalmatia and cyprus was to pass to the house of savoy the league was formed between the emperor france spain and the pope but the latter did not sign it until all hope of gaining the towns in the romagna by other means had been lost the florentines were induced to join it by the promise of pisa the league of cambrai is a serious blot on the reputation of julius the second he consented to invite the great powers of europe as invaders into italy in order that he might recover a few towns of no great importance venice prepared to withstand her enemies with courage the burden of the war fell on louis the twelfth as maximilian was slow in collecting his forces the famous battle of agnadello was fought on may fourteenth fifteen o nine and nearly destroyed the republic it is said that the killed amounted to twenty thousand nearly all venetians peschiera cremona brescia and bergamo fell and the keys of verona vicenza and pavia were delivered to the representatives of the emperor the very completeness of the victory was to a certain extent an advantage for the venetians as it brought into contrast the ambition of louis the twelfth and the sluggishness of maximilian who was not supported by germany when the emperor at last in july reached italy in person he found that an accommodation was already in progress the venetians in their despair offered to the pope and the spaniards the towns which they coveted and when the pope hesitated about granting peace talked of appealing to the turks julius thundered with his bulls on the other side in the din of the conflict pisa after a long resistance surrendered itself to the florentines venice was saved by the jealousy of the allies who were opposed to her and by the slowness of the emperor maximilian was driven back from the walls of padua the pope began to be more disposed toward peace he said to the venetian ambassadors if venice ceased to exist we should have to create another he came to terms in february fifteen ten the venetian ambassadors received solemn absolution as the florentines had received it from sextus the fourth the ceremony took place in st peter's on the second sunday in lent february twenty fourth fifteen ten end of section twenty four Section twenty five of the Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter eleven Pope Julius the Second. Part two. Julius was not contented with being the most powerful man in Italy. He wished to become the most powerful man in the world. The peace between the Pope and Venice was a great blow to Louis the Twelfth he and maximilian continued the war julius sent the golden rose to henry the eighth of england who had succeeded his father a few weeks before the battle of agnadello he also granted the investiture of the kingdom of naples to ferdinand the catholic although he was still bound in a league of amity with maximilian in august fifteen ten he attacked ferrara which was an enemy of venice louis lost all patience in september he summoned a synod at blois and renounced all dealings with the pope 
Julius replied by expelling the French embassy from the papal court. He pursued his conquests in the Romagna in person. It was not a matter of astonishment to the Italians that the Pope should fight in person at the head of his army. He was carried into Mirandola, the city of Pico, through the first breach made in the walls. After this, being unable to ride on horseback, he was conveyed from town to town in a carriage drawn by four oxen. In May 1511, he suffered a great blow by the loss of Bologna, which had been left under the charge of Cardinal Alidosi, a worthless favorite. Exasperated by the vices of his government, the people rose in tumult, pulled down the statue of Julius II, which Michelangelo had placed over the portal of the cathedral to commemorate the conquest of the city, and cast out of its materials a cannon and a bell, and recalled the Bentivoli to their ancient city. The cardinal fled to Julius at Ravenna, and laid the blame on the young Duke of Urbino, who, he said, had reached the town too late to save it. The duke, enraged at this, cut Aladozi down in the public street, and killed him with his own hands. None of the cardinal's retinue daring to defend him. Julius was beside himself with rage and despair. The world seemed to darken around him. Bologna was lost, his nephew had disgraced him, he was threatened by a schism and a council. The rebel cardinals, among whom the principal were Adriano da Corneto and Bernardino Carvajal, who had deserted Julius on his breach with France, retired to Pisa, where they prepared to summon a council. They said that as Julius had always refused to do this, the king of France had a right to call one in his place. It is said that at this time Maximilian had serious thoughts of making himself first coadjutor of the pontiff, then actual pope, and at last priest or saint. It is not known whether he was serious in this design, but there is evidence that he had collected 300,000 ducats to purchase the votes of the cardinals. It is scarcely likely that he would have succeeded in securing the obedience of the world. The pope, on his return to Rome, summoned a council to meet at the Lateran, which was the most effective answer to his enemies. In the middle of August he fell suddenly ill, and in a few days a report spread through Italy that he was dead. His attendants plundered his palace, they scarcely left the linen in his bed, the Romans determined to make an effort to restore the ancient liberties of the Republic, which the ecclesiastics had usurped. Pompeo Colonna, who was afterwards cardinal, and Roberto Orsini placed themselves at the head of the movement. A new pope was to restore popular rights, to raise four Romans to the purple, and to surrender the castle of St. Angelo forever to the people. But Julius suddenly awoke from his lethargy. There was a general panic in the court and in the city. Colonna retired to his estates in the Campania and collected partisans for the French cause. After his recovery, Julius II had only one thought, to drive the French out of Italy. As the League of Cambrai had been formed against Venice, he would now form another league for this purpose, which should be called the Holy League. This new alliance between the Pope, Spain, and Venice was proclaimed in the church of Santa Maria del Popolo on October 5, 1510. 
it was open for henry the eighth and maximilian to join it if they pleased raimundo da cordova was made commander-in-chief money alone was needed switzerland would supply soldiers in plenty julius had given the cardinal's hat to schiner bishop of sion the swiss had hitherto fought in the cause of france schiner now enlisted them in troops for the service of the pope just a month after the publication of the holy league the schismatic council held its first sitting in pisa it was a mere shadow of the council which had sat there a century before it comprised two archbishops fourteen bishops and a few abbots who were all placed under the pope's ban the pisans closed their cathedral and the council soon transferred itself to milan in the war of the league which now ensued the soul of the french army was gaston count of foix and duke of nemours sister's son to louis the twelfth gaston speedily conquered bologna bergamo and brescia this last conquest was sullied by a terrible slaughter the unhappy city was quickly sacked says a contemporary and all its male inhabitants were either killed or taken prisoners a thing cruel indeed but almost necessary gaston tried to save the convent of nuns from attack but was unable to do so this took place on february nineteenth fifteen twelve and appeared to be a realization of the prophecies of savonarola gaston had been ordered to fight a decisive battle before the swiss could have time to descend from their mountains or henry the eighth to land in normandy and before maximilian had declared himself the conquered territory was to be preserved for the future pope and naples was to be attacked by the victorious army of the french with this intention he appeared before the walls of ravenna on a low swampy ground where the roman fleet had once ridden at anchor was fought on april eleventh fifteen twelve the terrible battle of ravenna one of the bloodiest on record a battle fought on easter sunday between the most holy pope and the most christian king gaston had under him eight thousand french and italians five thousand gascons five thousand german mercenaries together with splendid cavalry and artillery the army of the league which contained the veterans of consalvo was commanded by cardona on one side was cardinal san severino clad in full panoply of mail on the other giovanni de medici the luxurious epicurean afterwards pope leo x the artillery fire lasted two hours then the french cavalry completely routed the spanish giovanni de medici was taken prisoner giuliano de medici afterwards pope clement the seventh fled for safety the struggle between the german and spanish infantry was terrible just in the flush of victory as he charged with french fury in the final encounter gaston de foix was killed he was only twenty-two years of age he has left a brilliant name in that chivalrous time but impartial judgment cannot acquit him of needless cruelty the victory of the french was complete ravenna was plundered for four days rimini forli cesena siena imola opened their gates rome and naples would not have been safe if there had been a general competent to lead on the troops but gaston de foix had fallen at the moment of greatest need this battle is remarkable among other things as marking the transition from the medieval to the modern methods of fighting cannon were largely used but pikes 
spears and halberds were no less efficacious the chivalrous nobility of france italy and spain appeared in full armour the battle was undoubtedly won by the steadiness of the swiss and german infantry who held their own against a storm of onslaught when the news of the defeat reached the vatican the consternation was very great the cardinals counselled peace the pope prepared to fly but he soon recovered courage and sending for the ambassadors of spain and venice told them that he would risk one hundred thousand ducats and his tiara to chase the french from italy he was really saved by the swiss cardinal Schinetter was not ungrateful for his elevation he got together a force of twenty thousand mountaineers and sent them over the alps to invade the milanese the french were forced to retreat into lombardy and to give up all idea of marching against rome the pope felt so secure that he was able to open the lateran council on may second there were present at the first sitting fifteen cardinals thirteen patriarchs ten archbishops fifty-six bishops two abbots four masters-general of orders the florentine pietro squarcialupi senator of rome and the ambassadors of spain venice and florence girolamo vic francesco foscari and antonio strozzi the council was opened with an ostentatious display of military pomp a fortnight later the pope was able to announce the renewal of the holy league henry the eighth of england had promised to support the power of the papacy which he afterwards did so much to destroy and maximilian also agreed to join in driving the french out of italy thus by skilful diplomacy a brilliant victory had been turned into a disastrous defeat cardinal chine recovered cremona and lodi and entered milan at the end of june the victory of ravenna bore no fruit giovanni de medici escaped from prison and the french retreated from italy pope julius was now again at the height of his power and it might seem that he had recovered it by the direct interposition of providence bologna drove out the bentivogli and made its submission to the pope alfonso of ferrara was solemnly reconciled with him a congress of the allies was held at mantua at which were present raimondo de cardona as spanish viceroy and the representatives of the emperor the pope the venetians the swiss and the florentines the possession of milan was secured to massimiliano sforza the son of il moro a boy of fifteen the fate of florence was more difficult to determine at this time as we have seen piero soderini was standard-bearer for life the league wanted money and florence under its present rulers was not able or not willing to grant it whereas much more might be expected from the medici king ferdinand had given an uncertain voice with regard to the destiny of florence but cardona demanded the deposition of soderini and the recall of the medici when these conditions were refused and the negotiations for money dragged on slowly the war against florence was declared to be the business of the entire league prato was besieged by the viceroy and taken on october twenty ninth the sack of the city by the infuriated dogs of spain is one of the most terrible events in italian history a contemporary says the sack was universal of all property of all persons and of all places sacred and profane of the rapes incests and adulteries which followed i will not speak for shame 
Florence was ill-prepared for defence. A sedition broke out which had been long brooding. A number of young men went to the palace, crying that they wanted no more of the standard-bearer. On August 24th, Soderini left the public palace, and on September the 1st, Giuliano de' Medici entered Florence. Cardinal Giovanni followed, and then his nephew Lorenzo. Giuliano, the second son of Lorenzo the Magnificent, was regarded as the head of the house after Piero's death, but Cardinal Giovanni was really the soul of the government. A conspiracy of the Piagnoni to restore liberty to Florence, which broke out in February 1513, under the leadership of Agostino Capone and Pietro Paolo Boscoli, was easily suppressed. Niccolò Machiavelli was imprisoned in consequence of it he had lost all his offices at the change of government parma and piacenza now submitted themselves to the pope the first time that they had been under papal dominion since the original donation of pepin the madonna di san sisto of raffaele which was painted for a church in piacenza is a standing memorial of the divine favour which those cities might expect who sought for the mediation of the pope by accepting his authority but these very successes had within them the germ of future dissensions venice was discontented with her share of the plunder maximilian did not approve of the aggrandizement of the papal see he was also desirous to obtain the duchy of milan for his grandson charles a project which was strongly opposed both by julius and the swiss who were now a considerable power in europe matthew lang cardinal and bishop of genoa came to rome in november fifteen twelve to attend the lateran council as representative of the emperor this secured the countenance of the emperor for this ecumenical council in opposition to the schismatical council which had now removed from milan to lyon the emperor and the pope also agreed to make common cause against venice who refused to surrender the important towns of verona and vicenza julius the second now stood at the height of his power he had established the authority of his council had driven the french from italy gained the friendship of the emperor and enlarged the states of the church he ruled with undisputed sway over the fairest provinces in the heart of italy there is some reason for believing that his next enterprise would have been to turn his arms against the spaniards and to recover naples just at this juncture he died he fell ill with fever at the end of january fifteen thirteen and could not be present at the fifth session of the lateran council held on february sixteenth in that year in which were promulgated the famous constitutions for the abolition of simony and the election of the popes one of the most important events of his reign he gave orders for his burial lamented the sins and offences of his life and with his last breath absolved the seigneury of venice and the duke of ferrara from censure a vain attempt was made to rescue him by a draught of melted gold he died in the night between february twentieth and twenty first all rome felt that a mighty spirit had departed julius the second besides being one of the greatest of popes was one of the most conspicuous princes of his time but whatever may have been his eminence in the councils of church and state it is impossible to dissociate his memory from the names of bramante raffaele and michelangelo all these he employed in turn on the great work of st peter's a building which was planned as the emblem of a new era and a new church 
Bramante made the design for the mighty temple, Raffaele decorated the Vatican with undying frescoes, Michelangelo raised, as he said, the dome of the Pantheon in the air as a symbol of a church which was to embrace the whole of Christianity. Also, the great tragedy of the sculptor's life was to have projected the gigantic monument of Julius, too vast a conception ever to be realized. Instead of that majestic dream, the figures of prophets and virtues, the sarcophagus raised aloft by titanic representations of heaven and earth, all that marks the burial place of Julius is a small slab in a chapel of St. Peter's, while the most notable fragment of the monument, the horned Moses with its cataract of beard, is to be sought in a distant church. Julius had no successor. The scepter of the temporal power fell from the grasp of weaker hands. The building of the cathedral of St. Peter's laid taxes upon the Catholic world, which could only be met by the sale of indulgences, an abuse which roused the indignation of Christianity and stirred up the revolt of Luther. End of section 25section twenty six of the age of the condottieri by oscar browning this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter twelve leo the tenth part one the conclave for the election of the new pope met on march fifth fifteen thirteen the time of meeting had been hastened to prevent the interference of the schismatic cardinals and the outbreak of tumults in rome the twenty-five cardinals who were present were divided into two groups, the old and the young. The first might think of electing Raffaello Riario, sister's son, to Sixtus IV, the cardinal whom we remember as a young man struck forever with a deathly paleness by his presence at the conspiracy of the Pazzi in Florence. The younger party, however, were determined to choose Giovanni de' Medici, he had indeed weighty claims. His house was illustrious and wealthy. He was the enemy of France. His character was good according to the standard of those times. He was a great patron of literature and art, and was known to be remarkably generous. His palace was the centre of the Italian culture of the late Renaissance, and he turned no one away without a gift. He was only thirty-seven years of age, but he was known to have an incurable disease. He was elected without difficulty on March 10th, as the other party withdrew their opposition and took the name of Leo X. The title was singularly inappropriate. There was nothing of the lion in that soft, gentle, and self-indulgent nature. His election was, however, hailed with joy throughout Italy. It was regarded as the beginning of a golden age, his first act was to appoint as his secretaries Bembo and Sarolitis, the most distinguished Latinists of the age. He chose April 11th, the anniversary of his capture at the Battle of Ravenna, for the day of his coronation and of his solemn procession and ride from the Vatican to the Lateran Palace. A more splendid spectacle had never been seen in Rome, at least in later days. The vassals of the church were all assembled, the Duke of Urbino, Alfonso of Este, Duke of Ferrara, the hero of Ravenna. 
Leo rode on the white Arab steed which had carried him in the day of battle. The streets were decorated with the full magnificence of the pagan Renaissance. The talent of Raffaele and his scholars was at Leo's disposal to devise statues, inscriptions, and triumphal arches. Some of the finest statues of antiquity were set up before the houses, Ganymedes, Apollos, figures of Bacchus and Venus. The fountains flowed with wine, servants scattered gold and silver among the crowd, a lofty arch erected by the banker Agostino Chigi bore this inscription, Olim habuit cupria sua tempora, tempora maiores olim habuit, sua nunc tempora palis habat. Love and war have had their time, wisdom now claims hers. A delicate allusion to Alexander, Julius, and Leo. The Pope must have smiled still more when he saw that close by this arch, a goldsmith had placed a statue of Venus with this legend in better Latin, Mars huit et palis cupria semper ero. Lust indeed was not likely to fail in the court of the Renaissance. When after a passage of many hours the procession arrived at the Lateran, the palace was found guarded by a joint battalion of Colonna and Orsini. The beginning of Leo's reign was certainly auspicious. He set free from prison Niccolo Machiavelli and Niccolo Capone, his father's biographer, who had been confined since the conspiracy of the Boscoli. He recalled the exiled Soderini from Ragusa. He wrote to his brother Giuliano and to the King of France that the dearest wish of his heart was union and peace among the princes of Christendom. The schismatic cardinals Carvajal and San Severino surrendered themselves, and all the states of Europe declared their obedience, except France. Still, the situation was full of anxiety. The two pressing needs of Leo X were to preserve intact the inheritance of Julius and to keep the King of France away from Italy. War was not long in breaking out. Two leagues or alliances stood opposed to each other face to face. The League of Blois, signed in March 1513, between Louis XII and the Venetians for the recovery of Milan, and the League of Mechlin or Maline, between Henry VIII and Maximilian, to which Spain and the Pope afterwards gave their adhesion. Among the objects of this league were to defend Milan and the Church, and to attack the king of France in his own country. Swiss mercenaries, the best infantry of those days, were to be hired with papal gold. The war began and was destined to continue for a long time. Milan was the prize of victory, and its possession seemed to determine the mastery of the world. The struggle was fought out in the broad plains of Lombardy, where Swiss infantry, French men-at-arms, Spanish arquebusiers, Italian cavalry and artillery, and German Landesknechts wrestled together in endless conflict. The Battle of Novara was fought on June 6, 1513. The French generals Trivolzo and La Tremouille were completely beaten and were compelled to repass the Alps. Dominicianus Forza was established in the possession of his capital. At the same time, Louis Twelfth was being hard-pressed by the English in his own country. On August 16th was fought the Battle of Spurs, which cost the French the possession of Picardy. 
Swiss troops were also laying siege to Dijon. These reverses induced Louis to make peace with the Pope. In December 1513 he solemnly renounced the schism of Pisa and gave in his obedience to Leo X as the rightful occupant of the Holy See. Such was the brilliant close of the first year of Leo's reign. It soon appeared that in the matter of nepotism Leo would be little better than his predecessors. The court of Rome, which had been in turn Spanish and Ligurian, became Florentine. Leo made his brother Giuliano and his nephew Lorenzo, the son of Piero, patricians of Rome, and he seemed anxious to create for his brother a principality in central Italy. He raised to the cardinalate Giulio, the bastard son of his brother Giuliano, after falsely declaring his legitimacy, and thus paved the way for his becoming pope under the title of Clement VII. It ought to be mentioned that in the spring of 1514, Pope Leo exercised for perhaps the last time the function which has long been accorded to the Holy See when the world was not yet divided between Catholic and Protestant, of being the supreme referee of disputed questions between the sovereigns of Europe and the enforcer by spiritual means of the sanctions of international law. At this time, the progress of maritime discovery was chiefly due to the enterprise of Spain and Portugal. There was some danger of their conflicting claims clashing and producing a serious European war. Alexander VI had therefore either as the acknowledged arbiter in such questions, or because all newly discovered islands were held to belong to the Pope, drawn an imaginary line between the conquests of the two countries, with the idea that one should pursue their discoveries to the east and the other to the west. The ships of the two nations had, however, unexpectedly met on the other side of the globe, and a new arrangement became necessary. Pope Leo received a Portuguese embassy with Tristan da Cunha at its head, bearing the treasures of the east to lay at the pontiff's feet. An elephant was now seen in Europe for the first time since the destruction of the Roman Empire. Leo solemnly secured to the Portuguese the possession of the lands which they had discovered, and made an award which was calculated to prevent disputes in future. The history of Italy now becomes involved with those struggles for the balance of power in Europe with which we are familiar in modern times. The defeat and death of King James IV of Scotland at Flodden Field on November 9, 1513, deprived Louis XII of an important ally. This led to his making peace with Ferdinand at the close of 1513, with Maximilian in the Treaty of Orléans in March 1514, and with Henry VIII in the Treaty of London, August 9, 1514. Louis was anxious to marry his daughter to the young Archduke Charles, but it did not suit Leo's purpose that France and the Empire should be so closely connected, and the marriage did not take place. Wolsey, on his side, was anxious for an alliance between France, England, and the Pope against Spain and the Empire, and with this view, Louis XII married Mary, the sister of Henry VIII, just at the time of the Peace of London. But this marriage had no result. Louis died a few months afterwards and was succeeded by his nephew, Francis I, on January 1, 1515. Leo was too cautious to commit himself. 
he saw that the strength of the papacy lay in holding a just balance between france and spain he even secretly encouraged an alliance between spain the empire the swiss and milan for the defence of that duchy with two leagues before him he was able to join whichever he pleased at another time he sent a nuncio to the venetians to detach them from the french alliance they replied that they were well disposed to the pope but that it was for his advantage to be on good terms with france because it might assist him in claiming the kingdom of naples for his brother giuliano francis i was now twenty years of age a brilliant prince full of ambition the world had seldom seen two such monarchs side by side as francis i of france and henry the eighth of england a third was soon to be added to them in the person of charles v on his succession francis assumed the title of duke of milan and asserted his claim to that duchy with the object of enforcing it he renewed the alliance with england and venice leo was in hesitation as to which side he should take giuliano had just married filiberta of savoy which seemed to favour the french alliance and if francis would have given naples to giuliano in exchange for milan it is possible that leo would have joined him but francis wished to keep naples for himself and so in july fifteen fifteen leo definitely joined the alliance between the empire and spain at the same time he made wolsey a cardinal in the hope of detaching henry from the french alliance the strength of the league consisted of thirty thousand swiss soldiers whom machiavelli calls the masters of modern warfare but the french were successful against them frio ulozzi crossing the more southern passes of the codian alps with his heavy artillery surprised prospero colonna and defeated his army so that the frightened leo cried for peace francis i in person marching from turin advanced against the swiss a battle raged at marignano between milan and pavia for two days september thirteenth and fourteenth fifteen fifteen at the end of which the french were victorious and the swiss infantry lost its prestige for ever milan passed into the hands of the conqueror francis might now if he had pleased have advanced to the conquest of the rest of italy with better hopes of success than charles the eighth but he was afraid to have his two rival powers of england and the empire in his rear the terrified pope hastened to change his policy he met francis at bologna on december eighth where he held a conference which lasted two days his passage through florence rivalled his brilliant entry into rome for this occasion the unfinished facade of the cathedral was temporarily completed by sansovino and andrea del sarto francis assumed an attitude of humility he had the assurance to tell leo that he had journeyed over mountains woods rivers and streams of fire and made his way through the legions of the swiss only to submit himself in lowly reverence to the godlike man he laid his power his riches his army his fleet his kingdom and himself at the feet of his holiness the result of the meeting however did not correspond with these professions the pope had to surrender parma piacenza reggio and modena and to content himself with the duchy of urbino francis also took the opportunity of extracting from the pope a concordat 
which has since formed the basis of the liberties of the Gallican Church. By this, the King of France had the right to nominate two vacant sees, while the Pope received the revenues during the first year. In accepting these terms, Leo perhaps chose the best way out of his many difficulties, but all hope of driving the French from Italy was lost. On March 17, 1516, Giuliano de' Medici, Duke de Nemours, died. The Pope transferred his interest to his nephew Lorenzo. King Ferdinand the Catholic had died previously on January 23rd. After he had secured the unity of Spain by the expulsion of the Moors, the ruling principle of his life had been antagonism to French ambition, which he believed with some justice would never be satisfied with anything short of the empire of the world. Ferdinand was succeeded by his grandson, Charles I of Spain, Charles V of Germany, a youth of sixteen. It was probable that before long he would also succeed to the dominions of his paternal grandfather Maximilian, who was now growing old, and this union of possessions would make him the most powerful monarch in Europe. The war which had been begun by the League of Cambrai now came to an end, and after an eight-year struggle, Italy might hope for quieter times. On August 16th, the Treaty of Noyon was signed between Francis, Henry VIII, and Charles, by which the fate of Italy was left undecided. This was followed by the Treaty of Brussels, signed on December 3rd, by which Barona was surrendered to the French and by them handed over to the Venetians. Before this, on November 29th, the thirteen Swiss cantons had made the perpetual peace of Fribourg with the French. End of section 26. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.